So we're going to carry on um, our series, finish our series this evening in Romans chapter 12. And some of you have been here over the last few weeks. Uh, You may well have been tracking with Romans chapter 12. If you haven't, then jump online and you can get all the talks um, up up to now. And uh, we're going to be finishing that chapter this evening. I'm going to read that in a moment. And so the key question we come to today as we finish this chapter in Romans that began with a call to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, Begging that question, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, the end of this chapter begins to attend to the whole area of doing relationships Jesus' way. And as community, if we could learn and grasp a little more what it looks like to really do relationships Jesus' way, then we might see more fullness of his kingdom manifest amongst us. What's more, we'll carry more of his presence as he draws near to seeing us unified together as one united body, living this stuff out, living, breathing the fullness of his kingdom here in this city. And so answering that question, how do we do relationships Jesus' way, is really important. And there might be some challenges for us today. I want to encourage you, lean in, learn, grab anything you can as we go through this passage today and ask yourself the question, am I doing relationships Jesus' way? Can I do that? Can I grow in my capacity to build strong relationships and to be at the core of something really beautiful, which I believe God is crafting amongst us here in this church? How could I do that? Well, let's read Romans chapter 12 uh, from verse um, 14 through to the end. And then let's look at some of the things that Paul is teaching us, who is the writer of this letter to the Romans. Chapter 14, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Not literally, just to clarify on that. I love what William Barclay says. He's a theologian and kind of looks at that. And he basically says, actually, this is like, you know, when you treat people in the opposite spirit to how they're treating you, it's almost like they become ashamed of their own behavior. And that, that heaping burning coals is almost like a picture of them realizing, oh, I'm burning with the shame of the way that I've treated you. And so I need to change because you have treated me differently. And then it finishes with this beautiful verse that you may have heard of before. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If ever there was a verse for our time, it's right that there. Let's pray. God, we want to learn what it looks like to do relationships your way. Jesus, I thank you that you are present here by the power of your spirit. You are with us. And we ask that we might tangibly sense your love your compassion towards us and the challenges you want to bring to us today if we're to become more like you. 
Draw near, God, we pray. Amen. Last week I went camping with um, my little daughter Bethany and uh, we headed out to the mountains in Wales and uh, took on a challenge but we had to part of the challenge was the camping the night before and uh, so I thought I'm going to get myself a tent because we're camping you need a tent right I got it like half price I thought how's this going to be it's you know pretty cheap so maybe it's going to be like a one-time only use but I am well impressed with this tent I am so impressed with this. Look at it. It's like, you know, it's just all packed away like this. Can't quite get it in a, in a rucksack, which I was envisaging as I was kind of climbing mountains and stuff. But this is very cool. It promised on the website that you could put this tent up in a matter of a couple of minutes. And I was like, if that's true, that takes all the pain out of camping, and I am a happy man. And so I got this tent, and I pulled it out. Some of you are going to love this. Some of you are going to be jumping on Amazon straight away. And you'll be like, get me one of those tents right now. Are you ready? Oh, 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 about 30 seconds. I mean, stop. I mean, tell me that. I mean, I've obviously got to peg it in, but that's it. And this, out comes this tent from this tiny thing. How cool. <laughs> the tent is getting applause. Take that to focus. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why as well. This is a blackout tent. It goes up. It gets higher. If you get in there, it's pitch dark. So there's no like early waking when the sun beautifully comes up at 5 a.m. This is like blackout tent. So this is like, this was the dream. And just put it up and it was really great. The downside comes when you've got to try and work out how to pack it away again. Because it's fine just flicking it out. And it said, oh, you can put it away in a matter of about two minutes. Less than that if you want to. And I sort of look at this thing and I think, you want me to get that back in here? And of course, you know, being classic man, I wasn't going to be reading any instructions. Like, I don't need instructions. I know how things work. I'm like, I'm together. I'm a handyman. And so, you know, there I was at the end of this little camping bit. We're about to go off on our adventure. I've got to pack this up. And I'm like, like how do you get this thing going? Like... And like you're trying to turn it and you can't move it and oh you see it just pops out again and it is a, basically a nightmare and I spent several minutes trying to work it out myself before I realised that was never going to happen and I had two options I could drive away with that on the top of my car <laughs> or I could actually read the instructions and work out how to collapse it now I'm not going to put myself under the kind of pressure that I will feel if I was going to demonstrate that right now. So I'm not going to do it now. It can stay there for now. No, 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 no. No, stop, stop it! Oh no, no, no! Oh, for goodness' sake! Oh, come on! All right, all right. I'll give it one go, one go. Honestly, honestly, you made me sing the other day. I can't get away with anything. Here we go. All right, here we go. See, so you gather all those bits in. You go on the top here. Oh. No, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. <laughs> All right, enough of that, enough. Back, 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 back to ground. As you can see, it's tricky. But for some things, you absolutely need the instructions. And this chapter in uh, Romans chapter 12, by the time we get through the inspiration to be living sacrifices, we hit these verses we've just read, and there's a whole bunch of instructions. Like, try this, do this, do that, don't do that. Now, we can totally ignore that and think, do you know what, I know how to do it myself. I'll just work it out. I'll make it all go together. Or you can say, this is incredible instruction for life. And this instruction for life is going to make me fit for purpose. 
You know, if I can't collapse the tents, I can't take it home with me because it would be ridiculous trying to get it on the top of the car. But actually, if I work out the instructions and say, oh, this is how it fits together, this is how these things work, then as I follow those instructions, I can then be free to use that again and again and again. The tent becomes fit for purpose. So I wonder how your relationships are. Because Paul lists out a whole bunch of things here that we would do well to attend to if we want to do relationships Jesus' way. And the reason Paul is interested in this is because if, if the Romans are signing up to being living sacrifices, like some of us did here a few weeks ago as we responded to that call, then he's saying, actually, then that's got some outworking to do. It doesn't just happen. You're also going to have to respond to the movement of God's Spirit in you to bring about change. And your salvation, you being saved by Jesus, it is a distinctively personal thing where you have a relationship with God, but it also spills out into all your relationships around you. And so as you exercise your relationships around you, it begins to demonstrate the relationship you have with God. That's why Paul's interested in relationships. Do you know we can go as far as this? The health of your relationships and the relationships, the response to, of people around you is an indication to the health of your walk with Jesus. So what's going on in your relationships? Where's their, where is their life? Where is their challenge? And Paul begins to plug into this by talking about enemies, evil, like major, quite extreme things. And it's almost like he chooses extreme examples of relationships, not just like the easy stuff, like, oh, you can work it out, you know, how are you getting on with your mates, your best friend? Well, that's probably quite easy. That's like um, sailing in easy waters. If you're going out in a sailing boat, easy waters, like your best friends. But Paul says, actually, let's test your relationships against the extreme pressures. What about your enemies? It's a bit like going out in a sailing boat in a storm. I've done that in a, few, a few times. One time, memorably, I was out at sea in a, in a sailing dinghy and the waves were bigger than the mast. And I was getting turned over and we were struggling. Um, it was almost at point of needing rescue and having to call 999 or whatever else as well. Somehow we got back to shore. But that storm tested our ability to sail and it tested the boat's ability to withhold the storm. And so Paul is almost saying, okay, if we're going to get these relationships right, let's really test them in extreme. How do you respond even to enemies? How do you respond even when you're faced with evil and things are really hard and they're not coming back easily at you like they might from a really great friend? So how are you getting on with your enemies? Maybe you don't have people who persecute you. Maybe that's not a reality for you yet or ever. It hasn't been in your life. But it may well be that there are people who oppose you or ignore you or people who you feel distance themselves from you and it's hard. How do you respond? How do you respond to people who are just outside your comfort zone and experience? People who you might not choose to spend your time with. These are all questions that Paul begins to ask. And he gives us a bunch of instructions here, which I'm basically going to boil down into four instructions for us, okay? Here are the four instructions that Paul would give us today. First, meet persecution with prayer. Secondly, meet emotion with empathy. Thirdly, meet pride with peace. And fourthly, meet evil with good. 
Let's explore each of those really briefly. So the first one is this, meet persecution with prayer. Now, as I said, you know, this is quite extreme when uh, Paul is talking about your enemies, but essentially in verse 14 he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You know, there are some places in the world where Christians are persecuted. Churches persecuted, pastors having to operate underground because of persecution for fear of their lives. There are Christians in prison right now for no other reason than that they follow Jesus. Now, that's not a reality for us in this country. So for us, we might think, oh, persecution, that, that's, kind of, that's a bit extreme. But I bet some of you have faced elements of this. Obviously, nothing like being imprisoned for your faith. But maybe a friend at school has kind of distanced you because you stood up for somebody else. Maybe they know you're a Christian or you come to church and they're like, what is that all about? Maybe there's someone who's really opposed to your belief system at work and as a result, they are opposing you, ignoring you or just distancing themselves from you and you feel the tension of that. That can be the mildest form really of persecution, opposition. It can be a really difficult thing. But if in the extreme, like Paul, you're meant to meet persecution with blessing and prayers, how much more should we meet blessing and prayers even in the moderate or the light persecution we might experience on a day-to-day basis? Now, this was very real for Paul. It was like a real experience for him. Paul was not always a Christian. Paul actually hated Christians. He began his story, and we read it in Acts, and you get to Paul, who was actually originally called Saul in Acts chapter 7, and there's Saul who is absolutely intent on destroying the church. He wants to kill Christians. He wants to absolutely eradicate any power of Jesus on the planet possible. That's how forceful he felt about it. It even gets this moment where Saul, as he was called before, he was writing this, is looking upon a young man called Stephen. Stephen was a believer. He followed Jesus. And he had been helping out with the church in Jerusalem as it exploded into being and many were coming to know Jesus. And Stephen was extraordinary. So extraordinary that he drew the attention of people like Saul and others who were opposed to him. They got so angry with Stephen that he became a martyr for his faith. They dragged him out of the city, they picked up rocks and they threw stones at him. And we get this little detail at the end of chapter 7 of Acts where it says that the people who were throwing stones at Stephen, so angry, so opposed, so persecuting this person, lay all their coats down at the feet of Saul, who looked on with agreement to what they were doing. That's where we find Paul at the beginning. He was somebody who persecuted. And yet right here he's saying, bless those who curse you. Bless those who persecute you. Why? Well, I wonder if it's because on that day, as Stephen died, he did exactly that. Stephen blessed those that were even persecuting him to the extent of his death. As he was dying, he prayed for those and said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They have sin. That is, this is their sin, but they don't know what they're doing. And Stephen looked to Jesus, but did not curse even those that were persecuting And there's this guy called St. Augustine who was an early theologian who shapes a lot of our thinking in terms of theology. And he said this, the church owes Paul to the prayers of Stephen. 
Saul watched what was going on with Stephen, saw somebody responding in relationship with blessings and not curse, praying for those that opposed him, not going against them or coming back with more of the same. And, and somewhere deep inside him logs this reality. Could this Jesus actually be real? Could there be something in this? And Paul goes on to his own story. But such is the transforming power of meeting persecution with prayer. It's absolutely power. And I wonder, I wonder if you're ready for that. I wonder if you feel ready for that. I wonder if you feel like you're exercising that muscle to be able to respond to the, the opposition you're going to come against, the struggles that you face, the questions you face from your schoolmates, from your uni mates. Are you able to be formed so that you can bless those that even persecute you? We have to exercise that response right now, even in the mildest of things, in the calm times. Because if stormy times come and you haven't exercised that muscle, you're going to struggle in your response to persecution. None of us want persecution to come. But in the history of the church, every time the church has taken significant ground, every time there's been a move of God, revival power, it's always been accompanied by persecution. The Welsh revival, the revival that's been happening in China over the last few decades, hundreds of thousands of people coming to Jesus and yet many churches still having to be underground or being persecuted. Are we ready for that? Secondly, Paul encourages meet emotion with empathy. Meet emotion. Empathy is like literally putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. Okay, so it's, it's becoming aware of how they feel, not just aware of how you feel. It's putting yourself in their place. If you want to build strong relationships that look like Jesus' relationships, fueled by him, then you have to meet others' emotions with empathy. Now, why is that? It's not just some sort of self-help, like, oh, if you want to build a strong relationship, be empathetic. It's not, it's, that's not it. It does help that, but there's more to it than that. You know, when people come to you and they're struggling, they want to know that you care. And that's a great skill for relationship. John Maxwell, a great leadership guru who was with us at the leadership conference, one of the things he says is, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so this is really important for relationship. It's important for connection. And we have to meet people with empathy in terms of care. But one of the things that that reflects is that our world is not orientated around ourselves. It's orientated around others. Could that be said of you? You see, in our passage, Paul says, mourn with those who mourn. Like someone's crying, cry with them. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We cheer with everyone in England today as England wins 6-1 against Panama. And we all start believing that England might win the World Cup again. I'm sorry, I'm still cynical. I'm so cynical. Every year we do it. We sort of think, oh, it's going to happen. Don't let me uh, stop you believing that, if that's what you want to believe. I know, I know, I need to get more faith. I've been hurt too many World Cups, mate. Too many World Cups have been hurt. But we rejoice with those who rejoice, okay? So we celebrate with them. And that's showing empathy. It's reaching out. And it removes us from just orientating our world around ourselves, building our world on ourselves. When I think of those that I've cried with, and even more so, when I think of people who have cried with me, 
Those are the people who I've got a deep relationship with. Something happens. The depths of relationship get watered by the tears of mourning together. And even as we rejoice, which actually sometimes comes naturally, but sometimes it can even be harder because if you're rejoicing with somebody else's successes, if you're anything like me, there are moments when it provokes envy, jealousy, maybe even pride in you. Because you're like, it's great for you. What about me? Glad you're getting married, but I'd love that and it's not happening. A great, you got like all A's in your exams. I'm actually struggling here and not sure if I'm going to make it to uni. Sometimes it's harder to rejoice with people. So that doesn't always come easily. How's your empathy muscle building? How is your empathy muscle strengthening? I want to encourage you, and particularly those of you who are younger, one of the things that happens, I think, particularly in your teenage years, is that you can get your head down and you're like, your biggest question is like, who am I? What am I meant to do with my life? Where am I going? And that's a good question. It's a legitimate question. The shadow side of that question is that you become so interested in yourself and what you're doing, you forget to think about anybody else. And I want to encourage you, lift up your heads. Step into relationships Jesus' way where you care for others. And as you become less self-centered and more others-centered, you will become more Jesus-centered. Because he'll work in your heart as you bless others, as you love others, as you mourn with those who mourn, as you rejoice with those who rejoice. He'll draw near to that and he'll bless it. Step into it. Thirdly, Paul encourages, third instruction, meet pride with peace. Paul writes in this passage, he says things like, don't be proud, don't be conceited, don't be all about yourself, but live in harmony with one another. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Perhaps sometimes people you're not always connecting with. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone. As far as it's possible with you. Sometimes it's really hard to hit harmony. Sometimes someone's so opposed to you, it's difficult to establish harmony. But as far as it's in your capabilities, do whatever you can to establish that. That's what Paul is teaching. It's not always easy. You see, pride in us builds walls. It's like becomes selfish. It seeks to prove itself. It is self-centered. It's like, I just want to run my own world and I can't cope with anybody else out there. I'm going to build walls over here. If, you're, if you want to kind of come in here, then that's fine. But actually, this is the world I'm inhabiting. Pride is all about seeking to prove itself. But peace is something very different. That's why Paul is saying, live at peace with everyone. The word for peace that is so often used in, in Hebrew is the word shalom. You may have heard of that word somewhere around the place. And the literal translation of shalom is, is around wholeness, bringing completeness and wholeness. So much so that you're so whole, you can generously give out, become other-centric. You see, when you begin to carry the peace of God 
And you don't just battle for yourself or build your own walls or seek to prove yourself and have pride that's stoked in you, but actually you seek to live in the peace of God, then relationships significantly shift. I don't know about you, but these things can exist in the big stuff like, you know, I can feel pride and kind of maybe even arrogance at things and I've got to work that out. But often these things are manifest in really subtle ways, really simple ways that are kind of to do with our mindset and the way that we think. One of the ways for me is um, I've become aware of, even this week as I've been thinking, preparing, praying, is just almost building my own wall and not thinking about other people. A simple one is traveling around London. You know, many of you will be traveling around London, you're jumping on a tube or maybe having to get a bus or a taxi or you're walking or you're cycling. And you know, when I'm walking around London, I can be walking somewhere and I get frustrated, I get really frustrated with cyclists who kind of come whizzing past me and don't seem to care about red lights. I get frustrated with cars who, you know, who kind of seem to be pushing and going faster and trying to get somewhere quickly. And all I was trying to do was cross the road, just calm down cars. And I can start getting really annoyed with everyone as I'm walking. And then it can flip, because actually if I'm driving through London, do you know what happens? I start getting really annoyed with, with people who are walking around, trying to cross the road. I'm like, get out of my way, I'm, on the, I'm the car, I'm on the road, this is my right of way. And so suddenly I'm like all annoyed with people who are walking. And then when I'm cycling, I'm really annoyed with people who are driving, because they're pushing out and pushing all the way and all of that stuff. And obviously from different perspectives, I'm just getting annoyed with everyone. And actually, if I'm really honest, this might seem really simple to you, but God has spoken to me about that around the pride in me that makes me think that I'm the center of the world and that everyone should get out of my way all the time. Now that's really subtle, isn't it? But it's a mindset. It's an attitude that I carry, that I want to give to God and say, don't let that attitude filter into all my relationships where I walk around expecting everyone to do it my way. Becoming self-centered. God, remove pride from me and fill me with your peace. Because if I can walk around this city with the shalom, the peace of God, if I can walk into a, you can walk into a classroom or a university lecture hall and you carry a wholeness and a completeness from which you're able to pour out then you'll be seeing the kingdom of God break in. What perspectives, mindsets do you need to be shifted in you? And fourth and finally, this last verse that we looked at is meet evil with good. So we meet persecution with prayer, we meet emotion with empathy, we meet pride with peace, and we meet evil with good. Paul says in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You can see some water here. Pretty dirty. Here's the dirty water. And if that represents evil, it's dark, it's clouded, it's not see-through, you can't see. It's not how water should be. We can try and meet evil with evil. We can persecute those who persecute us. We can fight back. We can try and meet evil with evil. But if we do that, we're just going to make the water even darker. And so what the Bible's teaching us here is meet this evil with good. Let me go and get some water here. So if this water that is clear represents 
the goodness of God, what Paul is trying to say is, look, where there's evil in the world, where things are not right, where things are not right in your relationships, whether that's on the macro level in terms of the whole of society or whether that's in your individual relationships, meet that with good. And as you meet that with good, it's only happening mildly here, but it begins to dissolve. It looks pretty dark still, doesn't it? And the reality is that so often we try and meet evil with just what we have in us. We try and deal with relationships just in us. But if we're going to meet evil with the goodness that God gives us, then we have to connect to him as the very source. And if I was to get a hose in here, tap it from next door and bring it in and just start pouring water in there, what would begin to happen is that would all start overflowing. And bit by bit, as it held more water and as it overflowed, the water would become purer and purer and purer because the source, the, the pure water would be flowing in and overcoming the evil. Now, our lives can feel like the jugs. It's like, not enough. We haven't got enough, have we, to overcome evil? How can we possibly overcome evil? Well, I'll tell you now, we can't. But if we go to the very source of all goodness, to Jesus himself, we invite him into our lives and we invite him to so flood us with his goodness, to so refill us so that we become somebody who is ministering his goodness, then the flow of his living water will pour through us and enable us to overcome evil with good. We have to go to the source. We can't do it in our own strength. And so if you need inspiration to live and do these relationships Jesus' way, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. It's exactly what Paul did all the time. And I imagine that as he was writing this to the Romans, he was thinking about Jesus. There's another place where Paul even says, copy me as I copy Jesus. Think on Jesus, be inspired by him. And how can we be inspired by him? Well, isn't it incredible that even as Jesus was being persecuted to the point of death on a cross, he was meeting persecution with blessing and prayer. As he hung on that cross, he welcomed one of the thieves hanging next to him into the kingdom of God. He spoke forgiveness over those that were harming him and persecuting him. He didn't hold it against them, but he blessed and prayed. That was the way he did relationship. Jesus, our ultimate inspiration, met emotion with empathy. Even as he hung on a cross, he looked down and saw the women weeping. And his heart went out to them and he pointed to the disciple and said, disciple, this is your mother, mother, this is your disciple. And he made sure that his mother was cared for. He reached out to the people around him, even those that were hanging on crosses next to him. Such was the level of empathy and care and compassion for those around him. That's the way he did relationship. He met pride head on with peace. And where people spat at him, tore his clothes and sought to shame him and said, you are not who you said you were who stood in their own position of pride behind the walls they had built, unable to see who this Jesus was. Jesus loved them back and carried his peace so fully that as he died, even one of the soldiers who was involved in his execution said, 
Surely this was the Son of God. Such was the peace he carried. And of course, in an ultimate way, hanging on the cross, he met evil with good. He met all the sin of the world, all collided in on him, and he paid the price, overcoming that evil and saying, anyone who would come with me, anyone who would follow me, anyone who would choose to follow me can know the Father, can know freedom from evil, and can be walking in the goodness of his love forevermore. The source of goodness pouring out. And of course, he didn't just do it there on a cross. That inspiration, that act, stands for all eternity for us to respond to. And he has responded to you, even you, in this way of relationship. That whilst there was a time when you said no to him and opposed him and pushed him away, he responded by praying for you. He responded by loving you by blessing those who were pushing him away. In the moments where you have grieved, in the moments where you've rejoiced, he meets with you in that space. He understands you. He knows you even in your suffering and meets you there. He meets your emotion with empathy. In the moments where you are tempted to live your own way, forget the instructions and do it your own way and you just step out in pride. He meets you with peace and says, come home to me. I've got wholeness for you. I've got wholeness for you. And in the moments when we're tempted towards evil to choose things that are not his way, that would not build his kingdom but destroy it, he says, well, no, no, the enemy may come to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life in all its fullness. And as you come to me, you can walk in all the goodness of heaven. And if all of us signed up to relationships Jesus' way, if we all said, you know what, this is the kind of way I want to do relationships, even in the complexities, even in the storms, if we go after that, then maybe we might be one step closer to the perfect church. Don't know if that's possible. But the perfect church might otherwise be known as heaven, where all things are made right. And our prayer tonight is that his kingdom might come here on earth just as it is in heaven. And part of that is going to be you living out relationships Jesus' way.